Welcome to the We Are SC podcast, Monday morning cornerback. Uh, this is Eric McKinney, joined by Daryl Rideau. Daryl, we're going to talk uh, Washington 28, USC 14. USC goes on their second road trip of the season, comes back with their second road loss, uh, second loss overall of the season, drops them to three and two. This is the first Pac-12 loss, and I think you really got a sense, you know, of where these two programs are right now. And USC, let, let's off the top. I think the the thing that sort of maybe separates. USC fans, the way they want to talk about this team right now, and USC head coach Clay Helton and the way he wants to talk about this team right now, it feels like Coach Helton wants to talk about this team on a game-to-game basis, where every week you sort of start over and you talk about those 60 minutes. And then there's a little bit of maybe carryover uh, from game to game this season. USC fans want to look at the, the big picture Clay Helton era at USC. And, and those two things are just diametrically opposed. You, you can't talk about those two things at the same time because if you look at the Washington game, for me at least, you're taking your third string quarterback on the road to Washington Right. You know, if not the best team in the Pac-12 in the last few years, cer- certainly the second best team, but but I'm going to say the best team in the Pac-12 uh, the, lo- the last handful of years. You're taking your third string quarterback. You don't have your two best players in the defensive secondary. And in Talanoa Hufanga, the safety, maybe your, your best defensive player overall. That is not a situation that any team in the Pac-12 goes and wins, let alone even probably even plays within 14 points of Washington. So if you're looking at kind of positives to take away from, again, this one specific game, I don't think Clay Helton is incredibly far off in saying, hey, turnovers really killed us in this game. The three interceptions were just backbreakers, every one of the three. Yeah. Uh, and then there, you know, five or six plays here and there, you get a quick change. And then Savon Ahmed is off for a, an 89-yard touchdown run. Those plays, you you are sort of five, six plays away against Washington. Again, if you're willing to look at this game in just a, a an increment of 60 minutes, this one performance, I right. think you come away being slightly frustrated with with some of the things that happened. But overall, that you know that they. they Again, the team played hard. They're doing a lot of the things that, that you'd like to see. But that's you just can't talk about this team and this season in that way. <laughs> in and, a vacuum. Yeah. You cannot, Eric. And, and, and again, that, that's where I think USC fans and, and we and, and all lump kind of everybody into that. That's where sort of the, the real frustration comes from is that you're seeing things just over and over and over that that are hurting the the USC program and, and this individual team and kind of what you expect from USC it, it, it's just kind of the the same thing week after week you and here's what's interesting okay um our wrsc.com listeners who are the USC alum faithful or football fans have been around enough quality football to know what quality football looks like and they've been around enough mediocre football 
to to understand that when a coach is insulting their intelligence. Now, if USC, if you took the Cardinal and Gold away and and the decals, and you just listened to Clay Helton speak, you would think that he was a coach out of the whack. And it's no disrespect to the Boise States of the world or the Hawaii's of the world or even the Fresno States, in the sense that these are teams that customarily are considered um, I guess in NC2A basketball terms, bracket busters. These are the teams that, that play better than their competition at times and can knock off a top 25 team. Or they, they fight you hard enough where you have to respect them as a program. But when you're USC, you can't sell us that week in and week out that, and, and try to grade this team on a, in a vacuum as though the 60 minutes is the only cumulative a time frame or expand of time that we have to evaluate the growth of this program. Because by doing that, Eric, you're doing this team and you're doing us a disservice. And quite frankly, I'm getting tired of hearing the, oh, my guys, you know, I, I got fighters. You know, they fight hard for 60 minutes. Well, it's not good enough anymore to just fight hard when you don't play smart football. When you're not playing situational football and understanding situations. Early in the first half, USC offensively against Washington. Understand your personnel, whether you're Clay Helton or Graham Harrell. Understand who you have in the game. You have um, arguably uh, the, the top core receivers in the country. If not in the, top, in the country, you definitely have the number one receiving core in the Pac-12. You have uh, a stable of running backs that, that could take over a game at any moment's time. And then you have the element of Matt Fink as a runner. When Washington went to a loose nine technique, meaning the two defensive ends, they had three down linemen, one nose over the center, and then their two defensive ends were outside of the tackles. Gaping holes in the middle. You mean to tell me that you would rather Fink challenge the middle of the field with two safeties high, 20 yards deep, and a dropping middle linebacker about 15 yards deep, and try to take, and try to uh, squeeze one into a small window versus running a draw play and forcing Washington to have to commit and respect the running game. It's little things like that that leads me to believe that the term that um, many are starting to, to coin on Graham Harrell, that he's a counter puncher when it comes to it as an offensive coordinator. He's a reactionary coach as opposed to being proactive and dictating his offense to this team. Now, I'm not going to take slights at Graham Harrell because I actually think that this offense is ideal for the, the skill set. But where I am going to take my punches is the attention to details that we continually do not see, and it leads to chunk plays given up um, by the defense and missed opportunities offensively that could have turned this, this game on its head. There is no reason why the game plan should not have been predicated around the strengths of this team where USC found themselves closer in this game going into the fourth quarter. And there's a few plays that really come to mind, Eric, that we can discuss that kind of highlight what we're talking about. Yeah. For, for me, it's you, you look at what USC did offensively. They finished the game averaging 6.4 yards per run. And that's, that's terrific. I mean, if, if that's what you're doing against, you know, maybe the best defense uh, in the Pac-12, that's just fine. 
But if you're doing that, you can't end the game basically 50-50 pass run and, and then sit there and say, oh, well, we threw, you know, three interceptions with our, with our quarterback. You have a play early in the game where USC is facing a third and two. And again, Washington has nowhere near kind of, you know, a, a, a compact box with a right. ton of guys up at the line of scrimmage. Uh, this is a play where you're running back can kind of take the ball and skip for a first down. Matt Fink keeps it and ends up getting sacked uh, because the wide receivers on this play are running, you know, five yards turning around with Washington defensive backs draped all over him. And that sure looked a lot like what we saw a lot of last year. But at that time, when that happens, when you see a clear, a clear situation where, man, we got to, we got to hand the ball off in that, in that situation, you just can't let it happen again. And then again, again. later, when USC is going in at the 10-yard line, looking to score and really kind of, you know, they'd still be down but kind of take control of the game, it happens again. You know, Graham Harrell sort of mentioned after the game when Matt Fink pulls the ball and tries to hit Michael Pittman and and throws it to Washington corner Elijah Molden, who makes a good play on there to to come up with the interception. When he says, you know, well, I probably would have given it to the running back there. I, I just I understand giving the quarterback options, and I understand yeah. that the whole thing is predicated on option. You know, it's it's you can you can hand it off, you can keep it, you can throw the ball, but at a certain point, it's you gotta tie his hands a little bit if you've seen this problem crop up before. And okay, so so early let, on, let, let, let's let's play. let's eat on let's nibble on that one really quick, okay? Yep. Because I, I think you're you're alluding to something. When you're down to your third string quarterback, your third string quarterback is third string for a reason. Yes, he came in hot against Utah and he caught lightning in the bottle, and the receivers were able to win a lot of 50-50 balls. But on the road, every situation, every possession becomes magnified. And if you're going into, as you're alluding to, and I believe we're, we're, we're thinking of the same series, late in the third quarter, or I mean late in the fourth quarter, where USC has four downs and they fail to convert inside the 10-yard um, line. Okay, the, the biggest issue that I have is why aren't you conveying to think what your objective is, what you're trying to get accomplished? Let's not take an ill-advised shot when you know you you have an opportunity to punch it in 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 where it just you become frustrated most is those attention to details are being told to us later it's almost like instead of this being monday um monday morning cornerback it's like revisionist history with these coaches they're like oh well i would have done it this way well why didn't you prepare him so that he could see what you're seeing too many options when you're the third string quarterback is too much. And at times I thought that Fink was seeing more of the field than he should have saw. And then there were other times where I thought that the offense just, just got too cute for their own good, where again, they were trying to throw in a tight windows where it didn't really call for it. You, you talked about um, when they had three down line and they're dropping eight. Again, if you, if you're playing, the first two downs to put yourself in a position for a manageable second and third down, take advantage of those four to six yards that the running backs were able to get you. But, but here's where I think that, that um, Washington had the 
advantage over. And if you were watching the game as, as I watched it, um, I thought Brock Heward, one of the announcers who were calling the game, former Washington Husky quarterback, alluded to it early in the game. He said that USC's tent sticks to their tendencies. When the back is dotted, they know that they're running inside. When the back is side-by-side uh, side with, um, with Fink, the quarterback, it's a pass play. And when he's offset to the side, they know it's an outside run play. Those tendencies remain key to form. And the very few times that they didn't, when Fink ran it in for a touchdown, USC had success because they broke their own tendencies. But when you are heavy on your tendencies and you're that predictable, uh, uh, Molden can drop back in coverage and take away that hot route because your tendencies tell you every time what they're going to do. And what did he do? He played key to form. He act like he was coming inside and then he drifted back out underneath Pittman and, and robbed that route. Whereas Fink's eyes never took him away from the play. It's little things like that. Those attention to details are preventing USC from being as good as they can possibly be. Yeah, and I think one of my concerns going into this game was, uh, is USC's offense Washington State's offense? And again, you heard so much talk. It's not, it's not. We run the ball, we run the ball. And from what we've seen, yes, that's true. They do want to run the ball a lot more than Washington State's, but you still needed to, to prove it against Washington. And, and I don't think there's, there's any sense at this point of, you know, okay. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think they've separated themselves from that Washington State offense enough now to know, okay, you, you are going to rely on the run game. But, it, boy, it still just doesn't feel enough. Uh, against Washington, you finish the first quarter. A first quarter where, again, playing on the road with a third-string quarterback and getting those defensive looks from Washington, you really could come out and try to set the tone. Yep. You end the first quarter down 14 nothing, and you have 20 run rushing yards, and, and over half of them came on the last play of the first quarter. I, I think that was a chance to really come out and sort of set the tone physically, and, and you just didn't. And it's another opportunity where you've given, you're giving a team like Washington a chance to get out early and really then just kind of sit on that lead because they knew defensively they could do enough against you. And I think that was tough. And then really right. you had this – we talked about tendencies. Boy, you know, USC has this tendency where – when they sort of get penalties called against them, which you know it's coming every week now, that they just are, are crushers. Matt Fink, his first interception was not it's, – it's not a good throw. He's trying to fit a ball just like Keaton Slovis did against BYU. He's trying yep. to fit a ball to Drake London with about four defenders around him. Uh, it, it's overthrown. It gets intercepted. USC is passing there because they're in a second and 13 situation. Right. By the way, they're passing there against a Washington front that has five guys anywhere even remotely close <laughs> to the line of scrimmage. Or to the, the line of scrimmage. But they're in a second and 13 because they picked up a delay a game right before that when a play gets, you know, relayed in late. And so you're just – you're putting your third-string quarterback in bad situations because of stuff that is that's fixable and correctable and that's stuff correct. coming yep. in from the sideline. And so, yes, 
that's not a great throw for Matt Fink. We know that, again, that's not hit the A-plus part of his game, fitting balls, you know, in windows, through coverages, that sort of thing. He, he's, you know, he, he can do it, but there are going to be throws like that, and you know that coming in. But to set him up with a second and 13, that, that's just – it's so tough. To but, but you know, you, but you know why you know why Fink does something like that? It's because it, it's because we're <clears throat> we, we go through this mirage of of chunk plays, like like the play late in the game to Michael Pittman Jr. for forty plus yards. You get away with those, and now you become heavily reliant upon them to save your your series, save your drive, save your season, and as opposed to in that situation that you're alluding to, you know, get yourself six to eight yards manageable, play the intermediate routes. And oh my, oh, by the way, on that very same play, you had Amin Ross St. Brown beating his defender underneath. But since Fink had his eyes kind of locked and he didn't go through his progressions, like uh, at least I've noticed Keaton Slovis would do. Um, and, and again, everybody has their strengths and everyone has their weaknesses. So I'm not trying to pick apart that. But he locked in on London, and he never noticed that the intermediate routes coming underneath were starting to open up. And because there was only three down linemen, those windows were there for him to identify. So when you look at that, and then you flip to the other side, the way that USC started off defensively, Eric, was they, they started off with Max Williams. And Max Williams, I thought, had, for the series that he was in, high production. One. He, he has a key deflection on, on a play uh, from the nickel position, filling in for Greg Johnson for whatever the reason might have been. Yeah, Greg Johnson then, spent, uh, sat out for the first quarter because he, he broke a, a team rule that, that was not specified by Clay Helton. But that, that's why Max Williams officially got the start and played uh, early in the game. Okay, then that makes sense. And then uh, if it wasn't for that fortuitous bounce that led to the second touchdown, Max Williams puts his head on that helm, um, puts his helmet on the ball, forces the fumble, and the ball just kind of bounces, and it lands in Richmond's hands, the, the other running back for, um, for, for Washington. And it's a head-scratcher there because here it is, you make the right play, but then you don't find yourself in a position to take advantage of it. But again, they, they have young playmakers around. The inconsistency comes in the run fits. And you've always asked me, um, what is it about this team, especially early in the games, that causes them to just, you know, find themselves giving up chunk yardage? Well, I finally realized what it was. This is where you miss Talanoa Hufanga. Hufanga is decisive when he makes his decisions. When he comes downhill, he comes downhill. And he puts his helmet and his shoulder pads on the right side. There was a few plays where Chase Williams was filling in where he wrong gapped it or he hesitated in the hole and found himself on the same side as the corner where when, when, the, when, the, when the formation gets tight and you're, you're hovering over, let's say, the tight end who's off the line, the tight end crashes down against Drake Jackson or Christian Rector. You have to feel off his hip. You have to replace they don't. When they hesitate like that, at the collegiate level, things happen faster. But again, Chase Williams is a converted corner. It's not natural for them to instinctively want to put their nose in there. So they're waiting for their eyes to commit to them to be true. 
as opposed to all of the things that they went through in practice and seven on seven drills, nine on seven drills, going through those run fits, they're not trusting what their eyes are showing them. As a result of that, you're finding guys out of position and it's leading to chunk yardage, chunk plays that are quite frankly hurting this team. And then as the game wears on, they make their adjustments. You see when they're making their fits, they're getting Washington off the field. And I thought that, that the defense gave Washington fits in the second half. And, but there were a few times where if they just trust their eyes and they trust what they were taught, Isaac Taylor Stewart, instead of him deflecting a pass, he can intercept the pass. And then there was one play where him and, um, and Williams, Chase Williams, were both, uh, they should have done what they call a combo route, where the receiver and the, the slot receiver are so close that you can pass them off. If they just do those little things, it's a pick six going the opposite way. And I know that Greg Burns is probably talking to them about that. And that's the frustration of this coaching staff. So when we see Clancy, you know, kind of reining back and just focusing on man coverage, it, it's because for one reason or another, the preparation isn't always transferring onto the field. And these guys are not executing the assignment the way that they're coached up. That's the, that's the most simplistic way that I can put this based on what we saw in this game. Minor errors against a team like Washington will get you beat every time. If you play sound and you force Washington to have to march down the field, I'm not certain they can do that against the caliber of athletic talent that USC has. But when USC self-implodes, that's what you see. You see three interceptions on one side, and you see chunk yardage, chunk plays, giving up simply because a guy doesn't grab cloth. He tries to dive at the ankles when all it calls for is for him to hold up Ackman and allow for his help to come around. Instead, he tries to take out his ankle, misses, and he's gone to pay dirt, 79 yards down the field. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned that one long run from, from Savon Ahmed in the second half, the 89-yard the touchdown run. That's, that's really it. I mean, for that's a really full it. half, that was really it for Washington. They start off the half with a 45-yard drive that ends in a field goal. A after that, there, there wasn't much except for that touchdown. I, I think the defense in this game – they did. I, I mean, I don't know how much more you could ask for them it, outside of that one play, which again, yeah. you can't I'm just. Sorry, it was 89 it. yards. You can't I, we said it was 79 yards. It was 89 yards on that play. Yes. All because a guy is out of position. The last line of defense, your safety should be coming downhill. And that's the frustration that this coaching staff has to have that you can literally isolate what four to six plays being the difference, but those are the difference in a game. It's a game of, of, of minor inches. This game is not designed for you to win on every play. It's designed for you to, to disguise, scheme, and catch a team out, out of position, and capitalize on those moments. And that's what Washington seemed to have done better. But I'll tell you this. For as good as Jacob Eason is, I thought that this USC defense did a, a remarkable job of, of really containing him. I don't think that he was the true difference of this game. Maybe I saw this game differently, but I didn't leave overwhelmingly impressed with him as a quarterback. Uh, again, I think it's one of those things. If you had told Washington fans, oh, by the way, USC's bringing up an extremely young secondary. <laughs> Greg Johnson is not starting the game uh, because he's, he's being forced to the sideline. They don't have their best safety and they don't have their best cover corner. 
And if you told them Jacob Eason's stat line at the beginning of the game, I think they would have assumed that they had lost that game. 16 of 26 for 180 yards, no touchdowns, two sacks. You would think that they would have come, USC would have come away with a victory. Yeah, and again, you look at what USC defensively did. I mean, Washington's first touchdown drive goes 35 yards. Their second touchdown drive goes 38 yards. They get a 49-yard drive that ends in a field goal at the end of the half. They get a 45-yard drive uh, that ends in a field goal to start the second half. And then the, the long touchdown run. I, I just don't know how much more, you know, you could ex- have expected out of the defense. And you look at some of those short plays – Boy, that, that is the offense putting them in situations. And you wow. talk about things that kind of crop up every week. Matt Fink scores his touchdown and then gets hit with, you know, I, I don't watch every single game in the Pac-12 or nationwide, but I'm going to go ahead and say this is, this is a top five soft celebration penalty of all time, calling whatever he did with the ball a spike. But at the same time, you know, if, if you're USC and you've seen these things kind of called against you, you know, I, I don't know how to tell the guy yeah. not to get excited oh. with his teammates. Where he's looking at his teammates, he kind of drops the ball, he gets flagged. But that turns into short field for Washington, exactly. and they can come back and capitalize it, and they kick a field goal on that. You know, the, the Talanoa Hufanga penalty is going to get talked about, uh, I'm sure, a lot. It, it's and, another and wait, 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 let's call, talk about that. Putting but, yourself let's, in a situation. But, but Eric, the Talanao Hufanga penalty where he's not even dressed, not eligible to play in this game, on the sideline, and because uh, Chris Steele runs a corner blitz, makes a great play in the backfield, uh, Hufanga on the sideline bursts with the motions onto the field just enough. And perhaps we don't know because I didn't really see the vantage point, but – it was enough for the official to throw his flag. What are you, if you're not dressed, why are you in front of the players? Why aren't you on the bench, standing on the bench, away from all of the action? That's where you need to be. But the very fact that you can alter or disrupt the game, literally and figuratively, the fact that you weren't on the field and we had to rely on a backup, it, that that's just the nature of the game. I can respect injury. I respect that. But when now you not being in the game and you cost your team, that's where, again, it's these little things that continue, whether it's the pocket sevens, having two, two number sevens on the field to start the game against Fresno State. And in this game, I kept thinking, oh, wow, Amon Ross St. Brown is wearing number eight. He's the new kick returner. Where is Chris Steele, number eight? Okay, fortunate for us, they took him off the field. But because of the pocket sevens to start the season, Eric, I couldn't help but wonder, am I the only one thinking this? That you now have Amin Ross St. Brown as a punt returner and Chris Steele as a starting corner, wearing the same number. And again, I'm, it's thinking, more- of, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, please don't make the same mistake twice. And, and, and again, I think this goes back to what I said off the top. This is one of those things. Okay, Talanoa Fonga gets excited. Uh, he jumps on the field by, who knows, a yard, two yards, maybe. Uh, he gets flagged for that. You know, it's one of those things, hey, you know, over-exuberance. I, I'm fine chalking it up to that in this game. But this is two weeks in a row right. that you're USC and you've been flagged because of something happened with a guy who's not in even involved in the game. I mean, when Marquis Stepp gets flagged for celebrating – with Reggie Bush, it's just, you know, like, like I said, 
you kind of it, it's just that snowball. It's the snowball. But when 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 the snowball feels like it's Murphy's before. law, when when it feels like it's Murphy's law, that's where you actually have to pay more attention and not give the officials any reason to even draw that kind of awareness to your team. Okay, because that's the mark of an undisciplined team. And that's some of the, the knock on Clay Helton managing this team. Yeah, I don't have a problem with you loving your team the way you do. But when you're parenting your team, you also have to implement discipline for every opportunity that you have to love them up. There is no reason why two weeks in a row we should still see the same patterns of behavior, whether it's the spike. Act like you've been there before because that wasn't your first touchdown. As the quarterback, one, Hufango on the sideline. And, and you talked about last week, Steph. These are little things that a quality program should not continuously go against, where it's a, it's a bunch of little excuses that continue to say, well, these are isolated situations. Well, are they really isolated? When the pattern of behavior continues and, and, and you have this Murphy's Law, everything that could go wrong is going wrong a situation, the only one that can correct that is the guys on this team by paying attention to those details that will prevent them from finding themselves spotting Washington 14 points in a matter of what, three or four plays. So it's, it's, it's that's the frustration that we have with this team. They can't, they find themselves backed up, can't get into a rhythm. And finally, we saw a burst of emotion from, I think it was Drew Richmond, offensive lineman who yeah. appeared in, and I was going to blame him, but then I saw um, Elijah Vera Tucker on the other side also flinch. So when I saw um, him flinch, um, Drew Richmond and Vera Tucker on the other side both move, that told me that they were in the huddle and they believed that the, cat, the snap count was something different than it appeared to be. You can't make those mistakes on a crucial drive. And what did we see? Drew Richmond turned in frustration, kind of yells at his quarterback. That's a sign of insubordination. But more importantly, it's a sign of a frustrated team that realizes that it can't get out of its own way. And I think it's just, like you said, it's just little thing. You know, John Houston gets flagged for for a roughing the passer and a targeting call. Again, it, when you take away the targeting call, someone's going to have to explain to me how that's still roughing the passer when he took, you know, less than half a step before he hit uh, Jacob Easton after after he releases the ball. But you're hitting high. You're not, you know, it, it's not discipline. It's not going where the strike point should be there. And you're putting it in the official's hands to make that call based on what the Pac-12 has done recently. I'm actually surprised that they didn't go ahead and, and keep the targeting on that play, even though, you know, clearly not. But it, it is one of those things where you're put, you put yourself in those situations to get those flags. And then you also kind of are, are, continuing to step in it usc goes out they get the you in washington and to start the second half they go kick a field goal usc gets the ball before they can run a play there's a false start there's coming false start. out of sort of prepared breaks coming out of quarter breaks coming out of timeouts coming out of things like that to continuously see you know either you have to take another timeout or there's yep. an issue or something's not set it's just like you said discipline covers so many areas it's such a big word to use but you see it kind of fall apart in so many different ways that it's tough to constantly play uphill against good teams 
when you're shooting yourself in the foot the same way all the, the time. And if there's not a fix for it, I, I don't know what to tell you because other teams are not doing this constantly. And I think that is where, again, you cannot look at this the way Clay Helton wants to talk about games in a, well, in these 60 minutes, this is what happened. Because now six, it's 60 minutes times however many games Yep. And you're still seeing kind of we start over every season and then the hope is you get better and better. And there's really nothing that's a carryover from season to season where it's like, okay, we've got that right. figured out. Let's move on to this now. One of the other things I wanted to get your take on it, it seems, you know, one of those coaching decisions for me. And, and again, um, we talk about things kind of carrying over week to week. I, I was really interested at the end of the first half, Washington has the ball and they, it, USC forces a third down with about a minute and 15 seconds left. It's going to be a third and long from, you know, inside the red zone. USC doesn't take a timeout when they could stop the clock with a minute, 15 seconds, set up Washington with a long third down. They do take a timeout at 45 seconds to kind of get themselves organized. Washington gains a few yards now they have a fourth down situation with about 42 seconds left. USC still doesn't use a timeout. For me, you t if you take the timeout with 42 seconds yep. left, you have no timeouts left, but Washington kicks a field goal, and you give Bayless Jones a chance. You get, you know, the Washington right. kicker, who knows? He kicks it out of bounds. You get a few plays on offense. I, it just it feels odd okay. to, but, to be an offensive. But, but, but Eric, should you be surprised that – USC doesn't maximize the full 30 minutes of the first half or the full 30 minutes of the second half. Meaning, if you take that example of what we're illustrating here and you go back to the end of the BYU game, when there's plenty of opportunities, plenty of minutes on the clock for you to at least um, position yourself for a field goal to try to win the game in regulation. Instead, you concede and you just allow yourself to just kind of drift into overtime and you're happy with the results of going in overtime as opposed to competing to win. It's those little situations like that, that you're talking about where you're not maximizing all phases of your team. And it's just like, you're happy to just concede and go into halftime with the narrow deficit, hoping that, okay, we've survived the first half. Stop surviving and start competing. Because if this team is truly designed and built to last, then you, you, then you take advantage of those situations and you work through those situations. If it's in your coaching staff to do so, where someone I mean, is constantly reminding you, hey, this is the situation. What do you want to do? You want to conserve the timeout. And, I, and I'm curious on your thoughts, and I'll turn it back over to you. Well, if Clay is not calling the offense and he's not calling the defense, shouldn't Clay be focusing on those little details? I, I would certainly imagine as the head coach that all of those decisions, you know, run through you as head coach. And the thing that got me is USC, they used their third timeout to, to ice the kicker on a, you know, a 20, 27 yard field goal, uh, it, you know, a, a chip shot for the guy. And you're giving up plays. You talk about how many plays you want to run a game. You want to run so many plays a game and you give up, you know, maybe, maybe three or four plays uh, w right. with that much time left and you give up a, a full possession. I, I just, that to me is so uh, against when you say, you know, you want to be this, 
dynamic offense and, and run a lot of plays and do all that stuff. It, it just seems so weird where I, I can't imagine if you asked Clay Helton at the beginning of the game, hey, would you actively give up a possession against Washington? I, I can't imagine a situation where any coach, right? They, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we, we just we, we won't have the ball for a little bit. Right. That and that to and, me is just one of those, one of those situations that uh, is is head scratching. Head scratching. Yeah, I, I kind of couldn't. I couldn't wrap my head around why wouldn't you at least, at least try a try a kick return. I mean, to to kind of let let Washington dictate that whole thing, have the final play be a field goal where they know they're getting the ball back to start the second half too. It, it was another thing to kind of tally on the to list. Tell, yeah, of, and, 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 and truly, it, it truly is. And, and again, it just goes back to, you wonder if, if, if the game is too big for certain people, if the situations are too big for certain people, or if they haven't mentally prepared themselves and rehearsed these scenarios so that when you're faced with them, it's not, it's, you're not guessing. Okay. And sometimes I get the sense that when we call this team a reactionary team, a counterpuncher, you don't want to be a counterpuncher team. Yes, there are times where you want to be able to ebb and flow with the, with the, the game. But if I were to ask you, name one thing decisively that USC offensively does so well that they can take over and control the tempo of the game. Can you really tell me that that's the running game? Or that on a crucial play that they can truly rely on the passing game when all it takes is for a team to drop eight in coverage and disrupt uh, your timing? You, you've gone against two teams now that have basically said, we're going to take your outside wide receivers out of the game. And you've had almost no response to that. I mean, like you mentioned, Michael Pittman gets on the end of a long touchdown pass. But you just didn't see a lot of USC really trying – to get them involved and on maybe the biggest play of the game, you're throwing a very low percentage kind yep. of fade into the corner of the end zone for a true freshman in Drake London, who again, Drake London is going to make his share of plays at USC during his career. But you, you're kind of actively saying we're not throwing it to our top three guys. And Oh, by the way, Drake London covered by their best defensive their, yeah. defensive back. Uh, on that play so so I think it is interesting that when you have this many weapons on offense you've now gone on two road trips and sort of let them be taken out of your game plan and and not had but Eric Eric speaking to this okay speaking to that particular drive in the fourth quarter you know and that drive started with just under nine minutes right um you have four plays in the red zone in the, you know, inside your own 10-yard line. It's first and goal, second and goal, third and goal. And the, you know, first two plays were run plays. One was to step. The other was to, what, revive for one yard. Then Fink rushes for two. And I'm just kind of looking at the script. And then, okay, yeah, you burn the timeout, or Washington burns that timeout. And Fink completes the pass to London. In that situation, okay, you know you're down by two touchdowns. That's the best play you have. Like you said, it was truly low low um low percentage where's your bunch play to create rub routes where is you know um you know give me something where Croman hook is in the backfield like you know a u-back or a fullback on those earlier downs to give yourself a fighting chance you had washington on the ropes 
And to, to quote the late Denny Green, you let them off the hook. You let them off the hook and you self-imploded. But here's where Eric speaks to the talent of USC. Despite that, they still had two more opportunities to score. And they self-implode. And that's, that's where, you know, yes, at Utah game, fans are chanting the likes of a Urban Meyer because you've seen Urban in those situations and you know what he's capable of doing. But this is Clay Helton's ship and there is still a lot of football left. And yeah, he can leave that game feeling very optimistic after watching the film and say, man, we're just a few plays away. But how far is it to get to those few plays in order for you to get the attention of your team so that they don't make these mistakes because they're constantly rearing its head at different crucial times of the game. Right. And, and, and again, that always comes back to the attention to details. And I've been preaching that for years now, that that is one area um, that Clay Helton lacks, those details. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me kind of stands out is when it's sort of the same small issues and the same problems kind of cropping up week to week. They're, they're going to be able to get a bye week now. And the hope certainly is you get Keaton Slovis back uh, at quarterback, and that'll be interesting to see kind of where they go with that, if it's Keaton coming back in as a starter or if they continue to go with Matt Fink. More importantly, I think, is maybe you get some, some healthy bodies in that secondary uh, with Talanoa Hufanga and, and Elijah Griffin back. Th those right. guys, if they can get back for Notre Dame, will be huge additions. And, again, if you're taking just that Washington game, I think it shows USC is talented enough to go play with teams like Washington and talented enough, I think, to, to maybe even travel to Notre Dame and play with them. It's just the same question. Same question. Can you clean up enough of the stuff that has just been kind of dragging you down underwater for so many games in a row now? 13 straight games with a turnover on offense. And it's just there's certain things that you come to expect that you're going to see. You don't know if the run game is always going to show up. You don't know kind of you if the know. passing game is going to click every time. But you know there's going to be some kind of sideline communication you know, delay a game where you have to take a timeout issue. There's going to be some kind of penalty where it could probably go 50-50, but it gets called against USC because they've put themselves in a situation where it could get called. There's going to be some kind of procedural issue in an away yep. game. You know, th those are the things that you've kind of come to rely on as always being there for USC. And those are not the things that Clay Helton wants to, to have crop up all the time. They're not the things that USC fans want to have come crop up all the time but it just that's just kind of where just, this program yep. is right now a ton of talent that just can't let go of this kind of weight on the end of the rope that is pulling them uh in the wrong direction no no doubt no doubt and you know and lastly you know some unsung heroes their performances just really go overshadowed just because it, you know when when you find yourself in such a hole down by 28 points. And I'm not saying that Washington controlled this game, but USC never really gave you the sense, the Trojans offensively, that, that they had a handle on what they were doing. Uh, with the exception of some really strong drives to, uh, you know, late in the fourth quarter, you just never sensed that they were in enough rhythm. But um, Palaia and Naoteote, I thought that when he came downhill at times with conviction, 
he caused havoc and he blew up things, which led to Chris Steele um, getting that, um, you know, fumble, the, 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 um, the uh, when he ran a corner blitz in the fourth quarter and he recovered yeah, the, the fumble, recovery. the fumble recovery. If you watch EA come off that edge and blow up the, the um, pulling, the pulling guard and just cause havoc for the, the runner, that's what you want to see more of. Instead of we see early in the game, a lot of indecision in the secondary, because like you said, you know, you're rotating in younger guys who just aren't quite sure as to what action they're truly seeing. And because of that, we are going to continue to see, if you're USC, more of the fly series action where you have a guy running in motion and where it's a bunch set. And now all of a sudden you have um, the tight end or the receiver crashing down and now expecting the safety or the corner to have to come off tight off their back and fill and replace. If, if there's any hesitation or delay, we'll continue to see the same type of occurrence. And oh, by the way, Notre Dame is much more of an efficient offense um, than what we've seen with Washington in terms of what they, ex they ask of their offensive linemen. So if you think it's getting easier, it's not. Um, and I am curious to see, has Clay Helton over the years learned anything from taking advantage of, of his bye week, or does he do what I've come accustomed to him doing, which is nursing a lot of guys, just trying to get them healthy, instead of taking this opportunity to open up competition and uh, try to get guys better by, by, um, by having game-like tempo and speed drills, which will now force guys to react under duress. If he goes back to, the, uh, to what we've previously seen him do, nurse guys, treat them like pros, you're going to get the same pro results. Uh, a, a team that, that takes a quarter and a half to get into this game because they don't hit in practice. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, it, it's getting tougher. Uh, the second half of the season, which at the beginning of the year looked like kind of, you know, you could maybe coast to a few wins there. That, that doesn't look like the case anymore. This Notre Dame uh, – game is sort of lumped in with this first half of the season the first six games and that's going to be a rough trip but uh welcoming Oregon to the Coliseum road trips to Arizona State to Colorado to Cal I mean it, it's going to get uh, a whole lot tougher than what it looked like uh, in terms of the second half of the season but we'll see how how the bye week treats the Trojans uh how they can get healthy how they can kind of get ramped up uh for for a big game against Notre Dame because Clay Helton talks about, you know, the, the Pac-12 championship kind of still being with, within reach. And certainly with just one conference loss, right. uh, it still is. But, but the Notre Dame game, uh, I think, gives USC a chance to kind of really make something uh, of this season at this point. And so, But Eric, Eric, let me just end my last thought with this. When you have to start um, lowering your expectations to just, oh, we still have the Pac-12 South, and, you know, um, to, to contend for, that's discouraging. Because whenever, since the time that I was recruited and played for USC, even when we sucked, okay, our, our goals were always greater than just trying to win the bottom half of the conference, the Pac-12 South. We always contended for higher aspirations, winning the Pac-12, contending for a Rose Bowl or a national championship if that was within our grasp. Now we're hearing this team concede to just trying to preserve and protect the Pac-12 South because that tells me you're building in an excuse if you lose to Notre Dame, that you still have something to play for. 
instead of telling me that you're, you know, you're going to clean up these things and prepare for a battle with Notre Dame and try to knock off a top team. That's what we want to hear. Yeah, I, and I think that kind of wraps up the the look at Washington, which again, we mentioned the tough just just plays. It, it was such a perfect example, I think, of the difference between what one game can show. If you just take what happens in that one game against, if you juxtapose that to the to the rest of the whole picture and what you're continuing to see from this USC team. So we'll see. Uh, again, we'll get a look at, at a, a big-time game the next time the Trojans take the field uh, at South Bend, and we'll see how the rest of the year plays out for Clay Helton, for this USC team, for the offense and, and for the defense. Special teams, too, we'll throw that in there. Um, so, so that's our look back uh, at USC's 28-14 defeat at Washington. For Daryl Rideau, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks for listening to the We Are SC podcast, Monday Morning Cornerback.